Hey everybody, it's Lisa Lampanelli, the Queen of Maine, and you know what? I got my own podcast. Yeah, does everyone have one? Pretty much, but mine's different because I'm going to help you like I help myself. Get Stuffed with Lisa Lampanelli every week is going to teach you how to have the fabulous life that I have. If you don't listen, you're just stupid and don't want to help yourself. So don't even listen. I don't even want you to. But if you do, if you disobey my orders and listen, you can go to feralaudio.com or download it from iTunes. But again, don't listen. I don't even care. Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie. So uh, my name is Alvaro Rodriguez. I'm the screenwriter for The Last Rampage. As a writer, to me, I'm less interested in genre and more interested in character. And, you know, I've written in a lot of different genres, you know, um, kind of horror genre, thriller or action movie or kids movie or, you know, different kinds of things. And it was always more, I was always more interested in character and hadn't really quite done something like this before, but was just uh, really drawn to this idea of um, of a guy like Gary Tyson, who, you know, had been in and out of institutions from the time he was, you know, a kid um, and, uh, and having sort of raised three sons from behind bars. Uh, and how these three sons kind of grew up in the church of Gary and thinking that their father had been, you know, unjustly accused and unjustly convicted and all of this stuff that they were getting fed um, from their mom, Dorothy, who's played in the film by Heather Graham. So to me, it was just, I was interested in telling that kind of a story, telling a family story. You know, to me, the most interesting stories are family stories. In some, centered in some way, you know, they're elemental stories, they're stories that um, go back to, you know, to the most intimate and elemental parts of ourselves. So the idea of fathers and sons, you know, there's a line in the script about, in the movie about that, um, you know, where Gary tells his oldest son, you know, Donnie, there's only one law you got to worry about, you know, and that's a law of fathers over sons. And the only way you're going to, you know, get past that is, you know, by this, you know, by dying, basically, but kind of threatens him a little bit. But um, so that was really, you know, the touchstone for me, uh, trying to figure out how to tell that story. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at Last Rampage Film or on Facebook.com slash Last Rampage Film. Hey, welcome to the X-Files Files. This is your host, Kumail Nanjiani. I listened to one of the uh, older episodes and I realized that I'm not energetic enough in the intro, so here we go. Hey, how's it going, guys? Great to be here. Uh, we're talking about the last two episodes of season two, uh, Our Town and Anasazi. Anasazi is the first three-parter of the X-Files and uh, Our Town is a one-off and um, 
Devin Faraci is back, and it's the first two-parter of the X-Files file, so that's very exciting. Usual stuff, go to the subreddit X-Files files, email me at thexfilesfiles at gmail.com. I'm going to do another bonus um, question or no, bonus email episode soon, uh, so please keep emailing me. We'll get to that soon. Um, at Kumail N, at X-Files files. Oh, continue to give the show a good review on iTunes. Uh, thank you so much. Hope you guys like this one. Hey, welcome to the X-Files Files. Returning guest, Devin Faraci. How are you? I'm good. I wanted you to do a shout out. Oh, my new Hellboy fell down. Did he break? No, he's fine. This okay. is, I just put him up. Uh-huh. I, I just unboxed him. Remember when you could just say you could open something? Now you have to unbox it. Now you have to unbox yeah. it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Uh, I wanted to do a shout out to the person on your Reddit subreddit who requested me as the regular co-host of this show. Yeah, uh, it was very kind. Uh, I do agree that um, this is a show that works with uh, with uh, rotating guests. Yeah, uh, but I th- that was very nice. So thank yeah. you, thank you guys for you saying get nice things. Requested a lot. You and Emily and Rhea are probably the most requested. I would say. Well, good, yeah. and I'm glad that I get requested a lot because I think that helped me get this prime spot. Of uh, the end of season two. Yeah, and beginning of season three. Yeah. We're going to do the, do this as a two-parter to commemorate the X-Files' first three-parter. Right. This is a three-parter. Well, but before that, we have to get through Our Town, <laughs> which is uh, r- directed by Rob Bowman, written by Frank Spotnitz. It's one of his very few non-mythology episodes. This is the one where there's a chicken plant. Whenever there's a story... First of all, there's a weird misdirect in that they're not putting the humans in the chicken yeah it's sort of the biggest problem with the episode is that the chicken stuff doesn't really fit into the rest of the story it's a weird it's weird because it's a misdirect that would lead you to thinking cannibals and it does but then the the can the people aren't going in the chickens so it kind of it's like a it misdirects you but in the same area so you're not it has no purpose. It misdirects you into thinking it's going to be a better episode because you're like, oh my God, this is going to be one where they're making fast food out of people. How cool is that going to be? Yeah, because you see Scully eating the chicken. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be like a really great reveal that, you know, and it would have been a great indictment of fast food. Um, it's already kind of beginning to be a really good indictment of like factory slaughterhouses and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, brutal. Um, and then they just sort of pull back at the end and they go, no, not really. It's just the town and uh, the end and nobody got busted. Yeah, what a weird thing why is there a chicken plant if they're gonna do like that dude could have been doing anything and it would literally still anything, been. yeah yeah i mean i guess there's some sort of thing where you see the assembly line at the chicken plant with the way that they're sort of doing the humans like they sort of have an assembly line they've got the whole process down but um yeah it's uh I, I, and it, does it at the end try and present Chaco as this man of integrity where he's like, no, we don't eat ourselves. Yeah, it's we sort of eat other people. It's sort of a weird gray area where he, you know, and not only is he a man of integrity, he's a man who's made the town great. Right. Uh, so it's sort oh, of. Oh, yeah, because he started the chicken plant. Yeah, and everything. he really built that town up. So it's sort, yeah. of, it's sort of weird. There's like real interesting thematic concerns to get at with it, but they don't get at it. Like they just sort of put them on the table and then walk away from them, which is like the problem of the whole episode because the finale, it's just such a. Oh, well, I guess this episode's done now. Finale. Yeah, it just sort of ends. Yeah. Yeah, they all. Um, I thought there's a. The, the slogan of the place good people, good food. Again, <laughs> great misdirect. Right. It would have been really good right. if they were actually good people, good food. Right. But no, the chicken has integrity. It's the rest <laughs> of it. But they must have gone to a real chicken slaughterhouse, right? Those to shoot th- that? 
Well, because it looks like they have so many fucking like chickens it in looks, there. It looks legit. It looks legit. And they're feeding chickens to the chickens? I mean, I'm sure... They feed all kinds of animals to themselves, yeah. That's like a very common thing. Very, very common thing. For one of the seasons of South Park, Matt Parker and Trey Stone did this, these uh, commercials, like promos, where they were feeding bacon to a pig, and people got upset about it. <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking gruesome, but really funny. <laughs> but it does happen all the time, huh? So I guess there's some sort of comment with that, with cannibalism, but it doesn't really... Well, it starts off as a comment about that, because they, they're disgusted by the idea of feeding chickens to the chickens, and then it just drops. And the thing that's so interesting is that that whole world of factory slaughterhouses, like... From the days of Upton Sinclair with the jungle, which really created like the idea of regulating these kinds of places, up until today, where these places are still like repetitive stress injury, terrible working conditions. Oh yeah, what do they call it? Line hypnosis. Line hypnosis. They really have a tendency. A lot of these plants um, knowingly smuggle in illegal immigrants uh, across the border, bring them all the way up to the Midwest to work in their plants knowingly. Yeah, um, they have deals with the coyotes that bring them in. There's a lot of stuff to talk about in these worlds, and this episode just doesn't. And instead, goes for like the weird exoticism of like, hey, it's Papua New Guinea, and they wear crazy masks. Yeah, like well, I was, I didn't remember much about this. I knew it was cannibalism, and I knew it was chickens, but I forgot when that dude in the tribal mask shows up. I was like, oh no, this is <laughs> this is trouble, right? <clears throat> the other thing is that at the beginning. You can almost think this is going to be like Wicker Man or something where it's not, It's going to be like weird indigenous pagan stuff. And then, no, it's just he brought it over from Papua New Guinea. And he's basically co-opted their culture just like a hipster wearing a, an Indian headdress. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But what are they getting out of eating the people? Do we... They're staying young. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Right. They're staying super young. And then they also start getting this disease, which I looked up, the... Some, the Christ, well, Jakob disease. It's a, um, uh, it's it's some sort of. Here I go. It's a prion disease. It eats your brain. Yeah, Kreutzfeld, Kreutzfeld Jakob disease. It's a prion disease. Prions are like malformed proteins or something. Kreutzfeld Jakob sounds like a like a Soviet stand-up comedy team. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Ex- exactly. In Russia. <laughs> Disease. Chicken eat you. Yeah, in Russia, chicken eat you. That's the one. I couldn't find it. That actor who plays the terrible sheriff in this town, uh, that guy shows up in a lot of stuff. He's a pretty cool sheriff, though, I feel like. Well, but he's like uh, keeping up this cannibalism thing. He's the guy who's killing people. I know, but like he's pretty open with Mulder and Scully. Like he's the least difficult sheriff they may have ever dealt with right he's just like well you want to run some tests all right let's do it you want to dredge the river let's do it yeah well he, <laughs> he is totally fine why is he okay with dredging the river <laughs> why is he okay with it i'd never thought of that until just now yeah i mean he, he should be like in there right yeah yeah he should be like no anything now yeah bring your people down <laughs> and then in the middle of the night we got to get those bones out maybe he's planning on killing them anyway it's not that well written. Why episode. does he not just kill them then? Because there's really nothing stopping. It's an evil town. Everybody in the Everybody town. Everybody in is, town is eating flesh. And they're completely okay. The only moral dilemma that they're having is: should we eat our own or just people from the outside? Right. They all agree eating people from the outside is great. It's a weird place that it leaves our our heroes too, because they leave the town knowing that everybody in the town's a cannibal, 
and that nobody in the town is being held held accountable Why for Why do it. they just, they're like, well. And they're just like, well, I guess that's just well, a town full of I mean, media, flight yeah. people eaters. I mean, like, wh- they never even reference it again, like, in nine seasons of the show. Yeah. That somewhere in America, there's a town that's going to go right back to eating people. Right. There's nothing to stop them from eating people again. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're like, we have to go do mythology stuff right now. <laughs> Uh, there's like a, I'm getting a disc that's gonna have Navajo stuff on it. Both of these episodes, I guess. I get. I guess this one. I I thought it was gonna get a little more like culturally insensitive than it did because it really is so perfunctory to the story. Right. They just like show pictures of him hanging out with black people, and you're right. like, oh, okay, that's probably where he got it. <laughs> Seems like that's where he got it. I looked up some stuff about uh, cannibalistic tribes and. Uh, a lot of it has been debunked. Some of it's obviously true, but a lot of it's been debunked, and they think that there were certain tribes who were actually <coughs> playing that up for, like, uh, you know, to get attention and stuff. They put get attention. There's also certain tribes that cultivate that sort of thing for other tribes, so that other tribes think that they're the bad guys oh, who eat of course. flesh, and so they don't fuck with those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's like a really – that's sort of like Saddam Hussein and the WMDs. Like oh. he never would just say I don't have WMDs. He yeah. was just always like America, you you will never you'll discover my true power. And then he he's like, oh, that was a terrible idea. Yeah, uh, it's the same thing for some of these tribes. But I thought it'd be great if when they'd gone in to like look for WMDs, he didn't have WMDs, but there was just like one huge robotic fist. But they're like, <laughs> oh no, we're not working on anything. Don't worry, we're fine. Don't worry about us. One giant eye. <laughs> um, but yeah, there. I mean, there is cannibalism, but a lot of it is ritualistic in nature. It isn't just like their diet. It's like you'll eat, of course, parts yes. of an enemy to you know take pieces of that enemy into yourself. Uh, but it's not like Thanksgiving dinner. I like how it seems like you're defending it. Like, listen, they're not doing it every day. Just on like fancy Thanksgiving. So the story, days. the story that I heard that I love, and I don't know if it's true or not, is that when we began doing like a lot of missionary work and aid work in the South Pacific. One of the things that was the most popular with local tribes, foods-wise, was spam. Right, because it tastes most like it human It tastes meat. most like human people. <laughs> yeah. like flesh. And that's the story I've always heard, and I love that. And I don't eat a lot of spam, but every time I do eat spam, I like to imagine myself having the, the long pig experience. Long pig. Long what pig. a weird name for it. Um, <laughs> that's why a lot of Korean food has spam in it, because the soldiers would go and trade for like local food and... Now it's like part of their cuisine is spam. I thought you were going to go with Koreans as cannibals. No, no, no. No, I don't think they're cannibals. I mean, we'll see. I can't even tell. episode about it later on. We'll see. <laughs> um, there, I thought, I, when the wife says, my husband had a character that leaves something out, I thought that was a fun way of describing somebody. I didn't know. I'd never heard that before. Have you heard that? No, I like that a lot. I like that <clears throat> that sort of beginning mystery you know, where we see him chasing that girl through the woods to get laid and stuff like that. Yeah. And like sort of like the larger question of what exactly is going on. But again, this episode just sets things up that it just drops as are not as interesting. They're much more interesting than the, the finale uh, itself. So, Oh, then the finale, finale of yeah, the episode. Where, where it yeah. goes, it's just not, not as interesting as the mysteries that it begins to establish in the beginning. Right. Like this guy, he wanted to shut it down. Was it because he knew it was going on? Or was it just because he was a dick? Like I find that really interesting too. And then the episode doesn't care about it anymore. Yeah. Like whether or not he was actually discovering the truth or was just an asshole. It was like weird. I There's a lot of stuff that's sort of left on the table unaddressed. Yeah, they just get Scully in peril at the end, put her in that horrible vice. Like that was not fun. <clears throat> and then just have Mulder just show up and shoot a guy in the back. And it's like, well, the end. Oh, is that what happens? That's right. Yeah, yeah. He well, just shoots the guy in the back. And then the, the one cool thing is the other guy gets trampled to death by the town. 
Right. Which is like a really good EC Comics. He got what was coming to him. Yeah. Thing. But otherwise, it's just like, wah, wah. You know, I've been reading these um, IDW, who does the X-Files comics. They sent me every single X like collection of every X-Files comic. And there were these, there's this a series called Classics. Now they're called Classics. Um, but they were coming out at the same time as this. And he, that guy was sort of telling an alternate version of the story with like an alternate syndicate and that kind of stuff. And it was like the intersection of X-Files and EC Comics a little bit. Like right. it, it was really, really cool, weird stuff because it's just drawing. Like you, you don't need a budget, so you right. could go like crazier, bigger. It's not canon, but it, the comics are really, really good. There's really fun stuff. Like they'll like find huge phoenixes and stuff like that. And right. the characters still are true to the characters, but everything else is sort of, you know, uh, crazy. Yeah. I like the EC Comics nature of it. But again, it doesn't... Obviously, you want the human meat to be in the chickens. It's just the most. I don't. I, yeah. Is there when you were doing? I know you do really good research on these. Did you discover anything about why they didn't go that direction, which is the most obvious direction and is the most interesting direction? The only thing I read about the, this episode that everyone talks about is like it was episode twenty-four of a long season, <laughs> and between big episodes, we have like a three-parter coming up. So they all they all are kind of like we just had to like get an episode done. We just. That's the th we were talking about that with Tony Shalhoub's episode where there's like a, he has a basically a, a shadow that's like a black hole yeah, or yeah. it's made of uh, it's made of dark matter and even in that one they're like we just needed an episode guys <laughs> what do you want from us what do you want from us but that is like the biggest problem I think even execution wise it's just one of those things where it's very rare I feel like for the X Files to set up a premise and then not go the most interesting not way follow it yeah not, usually yeah. their premises even if they don't do them right. They're followed through in at least an interesting conceptual way. This is just like, eh. yeah, it's a evil town, which I love. I love evil town stuff. Um, but uh, I thought when they shoot that person in the plant and then she falls into that, it's great. That, I love. Yeah, that, that looks, looks fucking awesome. And then, then you're like, oh, that's what's happening. Right. They're like feeding, yeah. Uh, Chaco, the guy who's the sort of the patriarch, the head of the town guy. Uh, chickens are perfect creatures. What a weird thing to say. Also, you're murdering them. Like, it's just a weird... Also, I chickens have a tendency, if they're out in the rain, um, to drown in the raindrops. Because they look they up, up and they die. Yeah, they're not perfect they're creatures. Really, they're really dumb. I don't think anybody agrees with you, Chaco. I, I knew this lady who was a vegetarian who got a job on a farm and dealt with chickens all day. And at the end of six months, she was back to eating chickens because they were the most horrible, stupid animals she'd ever encountered and she was like i don't these the, these things are barely sentient like I, I can't even feel bad about eating them because they have no idea where they are moment to moment well so look killing at, them is not a big deal well look at how small their heads are their I brains know, are like so brains, small yeah and they're so delicious yeah i know it's they sucks. really taste great i had chicken last night you know i honestly do a better version of me is vegetarian it's like for me hard to justify morally eating animals but it's just hard. Well, there's this thing that I'm, I've been working on this thing that I've been writing about the founding fathers and the idea that we look back at them today and we're horrified by some of the stuff they did, how they treated women and slaves and stuff like that. And it's a matter of they were living in the world they were living in. And 100 years from now, people are going to look back at us and they're going to be like, I cannot believe they were eating chickens. They were going to zoos. Yeah. And they're going to yeah. be just horrified. Exactly. Devin was fighting every single troll on Twitter. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's just a matter of you live in the time you live in. We know that like technically eating animals is probably not 
a thing we should still be doing? Yeah, for sure. But well, they're I mean, so fucking tasty. Well, they're trying to. They've already grown meat in a lab. They had this. Uh, they had like three like chefs come and taste this burger that this guy like grew in a lab. Did you read about this? I read about it, yeah. And then I read the reviews and they're like, mm, it's a little n- not salty enough. Like, motherfucker, I grew meat in a lab. What do you want? Well, it's the texture I think that really screws it up. Was it? But they said the texture was good. Did they? Was this time the texture? They've been doing this for a while. I read about it Wired um, about a year ago. It's meat. They grew meat. This was like more recently than a okay. year ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's where we'll go, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like, it's cheaper, it's better, uh, it's more humane. Is it also weird that they mention the Anasazi tribe of New Mexico in this one, and then in the next one as well, and they don't, like, Mulder in the next episode, which is called Anasazi, there should have been a moment where he's like, hey, we just, remember, we just were talking about this, like, last week, at that town of cannibals that's still out there doing their thing. (laughs) It's the nature of the pre, uh, you know, fully connected thing. I mean, like these are these are designed to run in any order. But it is funny. And Chaco Chicken is named after Chaco Canyon, which is where they found a lot of these Anasazi uh, artifacts. Yeah. Um, you know, with the idea that they maybe were cannibalizing each other. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's funny that they must have just all been the research that was floating around the writers' room at the exact same time. Yeah, must have been because in this one they they say maybe cannibalism, and the next one obviously they imply aliens or something like right. that. Yeah. So, but it's such a specific thing they should mention it. I thought that it would tie in in some way, but it really doesn't. Um, uh, I thought in this one, Scully, she's so um, skeptical that anything weird is going on. Clearly, from the beginning, it's very... Like the sheriff guy, well, he's like, there's nothing to solve. Like, that's the most suspicious I like thing. at the beginning when she's like, Mulder, this is a bullshit assignment. They're just taking us off the true trail. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. That was cool. And then she just falls back into being useless <laughs> the rest of the episode. Yeah, she really does. And then they put her in peril at the end. It just kind of like, it feels like a paint by numbers kind of Which thing. Which is why next episode is so nice, because it's, she's not that useless next yeah. episode. Yeah, the next episodes. She kicks ass. And to this one, it's really cool the beginning where she's like, Mulder, they're just sending us off so that we're not really investigating the true things. And then she spends the rest of the episode being totally skeptical and not helping. And yeah. they actually don't solve a fucking thing in this episode. They, they do nothing. They do nothing. I, even though uh, when he goes and... Here's my hint to like cannibalistic patriarchs who are keeping heads as trophies. <laughs> Don't put it in like a red cupboard with o- ominous lighting that you see soon as anybody walks into the room. Soon as anybody walks into the house, that's the first thing you see. It's like yeah, there's a weird skull. You have a picture with a picture of you with cannibals, and then a weird locked cabinet. Yeah, yeah really exactly, is. exactly. Um, is there okay? So the disease is spread through the eating the brain, right? Yeah, I think technically. But he has the heads. Well, they might scoop out the brains as a delicacy. As a delicacy. <laughs> right. Much like in Temple of Doom. Much like in Temple of Doom. Well, you know yeah. what's funny? So Mulder sees the um, the cabinet, has an idea what's in it. And, and just broke. He just broke, breaks in, thus instantly getting this guy off on every charge. That evidence would be inadmissible. Totally inadmissible. That would be the worst case. It's so dumb. It's like you watch him do it. You're like, what? How? Yeah. This is the best evidence you have. And is he, like, he just breaks it in front of the maid who is like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like he, he doesn't even wait till she's gone so he can like plausibly deny, oh, it, it was open. Yeah. Like he, he makes the maid watch him break yeah. the thing open. Yeah. When I saw the maid, I was like, please just have an American accent. If you start talking 
I was like, this is, it was a real like nerve wracking moment for me. I hit pause for a second. I was like, get ready for this. But that was, I'm glad we didn't have that. I thought the collection of heads was cool. That like was that's cool. the DVD menu image and it looks cool. And yeah. their mouths are stitched closed and their eyes are stitched closed. I really thought that yeah, was that, really awesome. That shrunken head imagery. I like that a lot. It's yeah. Neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally neat. Again, like you said, there's like a bunch of like sort of neat ideas. I get the sense Frank Spotnitz, who wrote this, who came on this season and became like a big mythology guy and one of the big like X-Files people, really, really good, one of the architects of the mythology. It seems like this one, it was an assignment that was sort of given to him and he was like, I don't really. So much of their stuff, like these last few episodes I've been reading and they're all talking about how like we had to make 25 hour long episodes every year. That's very difficult. <laughs> it really is. It's insane that these people had to do that. How can you have 25 different supernatural stories to tell? And it's you? crazy that we still do that. Like that today, like Gotham is going to go for 20 episodes. Is it really? Flash has got a 22 episode pickup. And you're like, did we learn nothing from the UK and cable? It's like 12. That's good. Yeah, but it really, really, I'm going to sound like such a, but it really is, you know, more episodes, more money. Uh, no, I get it. Advertising and but stuff. But there's no way, they, they they have not created the writer's room that is able to do 25 episodes. How's, uh, how's Gotham? I haven't seen him. <clears throat> I watched the first three episodes. It's one of the worst things I've ever watched. Is it a ever. lot of what I'm afraid of is where it's like, um, where they're like, hey, go grab the bat, man. Is it like like stuff like that, weird, like, winky nods? Well, that's too clever for Gotham. It is like people just calling the penguin, who's not the penguin yet, penguin all the time. Why? No reason. Cause he, 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 he's he is, skinny. Because he, he walks a little funny. And they call like, him the penguin? They call him the penguin because of that. And uh, Selena Kyle, who's a little girl, uh, insists that everybody call her cat all the time. And she can see in the dark. And the opening scene of the first episode is her stealing milk. To, uh, Jesus Christ! She's a cat. Uh, wow! Uh, the Riddler. Is, is there a, a shot of her pooping in a box? <laughs> <laughs> the Riddler is uh, Edward Nigma. CSI team. Edward Nigma, and he walks every scene. He walks in, and he's like, "What do you get when you put ten guys in a room?" No. Every, yeah, it's so bad. It really is stunning how bad it is. And Bruce Wayne is a major character, right? He's a Bruce kid Wayne in... is a kid, and in the second episode, one of the best things. This is the kind of thing that you see it like in a web comic or like in a sketch, and you go, "That's very funny." But then when you put it into a show, he's a little kid. He's sitting in his desk. He's listening to death metal, and he's sketching severed heads. What? Yeah, because he's trouble. Because he's got he's got a lot of psychological issues. It's, I bet the acting's good, right? It's got no, good the actors is in it. A disaster. Because the tone is all over the place. Because so it's tough, dude. It's on one hand, it's gritty. It's like police corruption. It's murder. It's death. On the other hand, in the third episode, there's a vigilante whose whose shtick is he ties people to weather balloons and they float off and die. <laughs> so you can't balance those two tones. It's just not possible. Like it's all over the place. Who is is that? Like a figure? Is that a bad guy from? That's a new one. It's a new guy. But what's even worse is that it's the third episode. This is taking place 15 years before Batman shows up. And his dying words are, I'm just the first of many. There'll be more vigilantes coming after me. How does he know? Well, A, how does he know? But also, B, you have just set up a, a thing where you're going to have vigilantes showing up pre-Batman oh. for a decade. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's 15 years of people like, showing ah, up and then this guy. Up. Yeah, yeah. Because you, if you're starting with the weather balloon guy, 
That's already run out of ideas. That's the thing. It's already sort of weirdly heightened. And I'm like, well, how weird the is it The first be? vigilante shouldn't have to tie weather balloons. It should just be a guy with a gun. Just a guy with a gun. Right. Later, where you're like, I got to have a thing. There's so <laughs> many of these guys around. And his, uh, the, the news media uh, calls him Balloon Man. Balloon Man? Balloon Man. That's what, that's what his, his vigilante name is, Balloon Man. And is he like a, is it going to be a big arc or is he it just dies. one episode? He dies. He dies. I really wanted to see it. I thought visually, just from the commercials, it looks cool. I haven't seen it. It's but got an interesting the look. The palette is interesting. It's got an interesting look, but they just can't handle the tone. Again, like so the finale of that episode with the Balloon Man is James Gordon. Um, uh, Donald Logue is playing uh, uh, Bullock, yeah. who's like dirty. Yeah. And James Gordon is clean, trying to remain clean in, in Gotham. And Bullock ties the Balloon Man to one of his own balloons, and he begins floating up to die. And Gordon's like, we can't let him die. So he jumps on Balloon Man and is being carried away with Balloon Man. And so it's Gordon floating up into the air in a giant balloon, yelling down at Bullock, shoot the balloon, shoot the balloon. And you're just like, what? This really, this is this like, is where we this are. This is really your serious thing. Like, this is like your big moment of action is like James Gordon floating off into the sky. It's the like big shoot the balloon moment. <laughs> um, back to this episode. What I do, we, this comes out like this comes pretty much right after a uh, couple of after Humbug. And Humbug is sort of a little bit of the romanticization right. of the small town, and this is like the opposite of that. This is more what you see in the X-Files. The thing is, the problem with this small town story is that it doesn't introduce enough characters. Yeah. So the town is just a generic group of people. That's right. Even the woman who dies first, you don't really find out anything about her. Uh, there's the sheriff. And she's related to, to the main guy anyway, so it, it doesn't even feel like a town thing. It feels yeah. like a family thing. It's all so small. That's right. You see all these people, but you don't ever. There's that. That's right. There should have been like a moment where you sort of see the scope of it, where you. Where yeah. Mulder and Scully go into the local shop and meet a shopkeeper, and then at the end of the episode, that shopkeeper is there in the crowd to cut. Yeah, off the yeah, head. yeah. There should be that kind of a thing where you're like, oh, this is everybody in this town. Yeah, there should be a picture the shopkeeper has with him with like Abraham Lincoln or something. <laughs> Like, so many clues. <laughs> I'm noticing just now that this mirror here, look at how high up Bagel's paw prints are. I don't know what she was doing, but it looks like she landed on it all four, all four legs. She was maybe doing, like, parkour. My cat's sometimes parkour yeah. off the walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's pretty good. She, like, does that move. It's unnecessary, but it's matrixy where she'll, like, instead of running right, she'll, like, jump off the wall yeah. and then run. They it's, love it. Yeah, they love it's it. pretty cool. Anything else left to say about this before we move on? Uh, it's just like it's one of those, it's just a bummer of an episode. It's not terrible. No, it's certainly not terrible. It's watchable. There's very few terrible episodes this season. I thought that the, uh, what's the one? The one with invisible animals was un, was really terrible. And that's <laughs> been the one out and out bummer in this whole season of 25. Not right. bad, you know, but... Out of 25, like, we've had Humbug, which is a classic. We've had a lot of great ones. Even ones that I don't remember loving. I really found stuff to They're like. They're watchable. Usually. Yeah. Yeah, this is watchable. This is totally watchable. It's just like, a, it's like the end. You're like, oh, you didn't you didn't make that work. You yeah. didn't follow through. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on to Anasazi. So, Anasazi. Uh, this is, like, a big... In a way, this sort of launches a new, like... Um, 
chapter of the X-Files mythology. Yeah, I feel bad that we had to get through Our Town uh, because I was like watching Our Town. I was enjoying it and I was whatever. Yeah. But as soon as I watched Anasazi, I was like, man, I don't want to talk about Our Town. Like, yeah. I really just yeah, want to talk like, about this. Yeah. This is so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, The only thing about this that bumped me weird the first time and this time is I just want in a movie at some point a Native American character who doesn't say things like, the earth has a secret it needs to tell. <laughs> I just, uh, the only way it could have been worse if he'd said she, the earth has a secret she needs to tell. Uh, and what he's telling his like uh, nephew or whatever, he says, leave the snakes alone today. What is that guy doing with snakes? That's actually, I, you know what? I actually like that part because that's a practical advice because the kid's running out to the desert and the snakes will be riled up because of the earthquake. That is good that advice. That is actual practical advice, which is that, you know, maybe the kid is out like, he likes to poke snakes with sticks because he's a kid in the desert. Uh, but today the snake's going to be really pissed yeah. off. So yeah. I, actually, I actually did not mind that. And I think that that actor is really good. I just don't think you need him talking about weird omens and shit as much. Where he's like, I knew. He tells Mulder that he knows he was going to come. I kind of think, you know what, it's weird. Because if we're going to talk about it like in terms of socially progressive and whatever. Yeah, I, get, I agree. But well, I don't even mean but in, in terms, terms of socially of the, progressive. In terms of the weirder mythology stuff, I like it. Because it sort of ties into the, he, he's the opposite of what's happening in that train car which is that he is the mythological large connection with the world while the train car is the mythological large technology connection uh-huh. that is not of this world, very specifically. So I like that. That, to me, works thematically. Um, X-Files is dealing with a lot of big thematic conspiracy stuff, so to go broad with some of that stuff works for me, especially with the code talkers. Um, so... The code talkers themselves are inherently mysterious. That's the entire purpose of them being code talkers is that nobody can fucking crack their language. And so making these characters as mysterious as that works for me, even though I recognize that it is, you know, cliched and it's the same Indian shit that we see a lot. Yeah, it is the same Indian shit we see a lot. I don't have a problem with the cliche aspect of it. I have a problem with, like, the borderline magical aspect of it. Um, But... Uh, and I think later in the series, it gets a little crazier, this stuff. I just want to read one of my favorite lines of his. This is his line. Uh, in the desert, things find a way to survive. Secrets are like those, too. They push their way up through the sands of deception so men can know them. Here, this is my house. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Like, that guy has to live in the real world, too. I always like that intersection of, like... The mundane and the supernatural, <laughs> but this is a fucking great episode. This is such a good episode. This is a textbook example of how to do a season finale. You you up the stakes. You have a shocking death. You have every one of our characters in scenarios where their future is uncertain. Yeah, big reveals. Big reveals. You have all this stuff, and 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 you have action. And for the at least for the scope of the show at this point, you go big, like a helicopter landing. And then blowing up a train car for the X Files is yeah. like real big. And I mean, finding a train car full of alien corpses right. is more than we've seen right. any. I mean, that's because it, it's visually it's a lot to see, but also what it hints at, you know, the right. smallpox vaccinations, it just sort of opens up the conspiracy in a much bigger Like the first, I, I love the first scene. I actually, 
you know, texted you because I was like, hey, this doesn't have subtitles on, on Netflix. You don't see the subtitles, but on DVD you do. So something happens with that phone call with, you know, the cigarette smoking men of all their right. countries talking. Like, that was really cool. It was like, oh, this is a big, like, there are people who know of this. Right, the this, syndicate isn't just a bunch of guys in Washington. Yeah, right. exactly. This is all over the world. And then, um, yeah, this is, I think of this whenever I, at least I, and I know a lot of people, when you think of, like, the great X-Files mythology episodes, the first image I would always see was Mulder trapped in a train car right. on fire. And the way he says, burn it, that's a fucking great badass line. <laughs> burn it. It's so cool. <laughs> That's so great. Um, so, I, so this is where I think the mythology really gets cooking. Right. Like, there's a lot of big stuff happening over here. They put a lot of stuff into play in a big way, and they do a lot of stuff that's nice reveals that retroactively make things make more sense. Where cigarette smoking man sort of explains why they haven't just shot Mulder in the head. Yeah, it's he, nice. It's a nice little thing. Yeah, and they really needed to do that because that was one of the things. Like, well, why don't we just kill this guy? Right. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Mulder's dad being part of the conspiracy—that's a huge, crazy reveal. Um, the, the the visual reveal of um, you know, uh, Crychek standing in the bathtub when really you think he's great. dead is fucking great. Yeah. It really, I love really Crychek. works. Yeah, I love Crychek too. I love Crychek so much. He's, he's such a great villain. Yeah, he's so good. He really is a great villain, and. He is really good, like at least earlier now, he's sort of gone completely bad. But the way he would like carry himself when he was a good guy, when he was right. a bad guy, was like very different. Right. That guy's a good actor. Yeah. And there's like a good physicality to him. Like there's some of these, because uh, he's not a huge guy, but when he like kicks ass, you kind of buy it. Right. I thought Mulder kicking his ass was cool, but my favorite was when Mulder tries to take on Skinner, and Skinner's like, what are you doing? It is so good. Skinner is such a good dad. Uh, like, you know, he yells at Mulder a little bit, and then when Mulder, like, has his thing, he just puts him in the headlock just to restrain He's like, him. are we done? He <laughs> says so that. Good. He's yeah. such a badass. I love Skinner so much. And I know that, like, for the modern X-Files fandom, it's all Mulder and Scully. But for me, Skinner is, like, such an integral part of that whole relationship. He they really is, and it's a more interesting character in some ways because Mulder and Scully, you know they're on the side of good. Skinner is kind of walking that line, so his struggle is actually a little more real. Like, Mulder and Scully, you know what they would do in any situation. Skinner, you don't. You don't, and but also you, you know that he's there for them. You know what I mean? Like, you know that he's not against them, but you also wonder at any time what his definition of helping them is going to be. Right. Because uh, he could really fuck them up if he needs to. And it always has that little bit of menace. It's perfect. Uh, and he's just he's just great. The way he delivers his lines is just so great. He's just, yeah. Oh, God, I love Skinner. I, I also love that like the older guy who's super ripped. I think that's a good... <laughs> yeah, like, that's really he doesn't want to show it, but like that's part of it, too. Like right. He's physically very intimidating. Right. The way he puts his glasses on, like he wraps him around his ear it's fucking so <laughs> badass it always like when he's angry he looks like he's chewing his own teeth you know he's fucking <laughs> awesome mj documents so they sort of uh, the, the subtitles you missed are and they talk about it later they're like hey the mj documents have been found and then you know italian and all the different languages you said what are these mj documents so they're real <laughs> they're a real hoax uh in the early 80s uh the majestic 12 documents were uh, mailed to a couple of different UFO researchers. MJ-12, right. And the idea so is Majestic 12 or Magic 12. And the concept in these documents is that in 1947, with the discovery of a crashed UFO in Roswell and a crashed UFO in El Indio, Texas, that uh, President uh, Truman uh, put together a group, a high-level group of thinkers to deal with the technology and bodies that were discovered. 
and that was the Majestic Group. And then 1952, Eisenhower made it real official. And these are all documents that exist that were mailed out to these these guys. They found more documents in the National Archives. Wait, these were documents that were sent out to like press and stuff? No, just UFO specific UFO researchers. Years later. Uh, in 1984. Okay. So um, the thing is they were all fake. And they were all real fake. They've like, been debunked, like hard. Like the 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 date uh, format is wrong. Uh, They're using words that didn't exist in 1952. Yeah. They said blog, which was weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they um they they they're all classified a certain kind of top secret that didn't exist until Nixon. Um, and it's the kind of mistakes that are easy to make that would fool a regular person. But as soon as the people who know what they're talking about looked at them. What's really fascinating about the Majestic documents is that nobody's ever come forward and said, oh, I did it. And um, because of the time period, what's really neat is the idea that is this a thing where there are three competing theories. One theory is that the Majestic documents were created by UFO enthusiasts with the idea of by putting out these fake documents, they could get people from the government to actually speak out and say, well, that's wrong. The reality is this. Yeah. The other one is that it was just an attempt <laughs> by UFO researchers to fuck with each other. Okay, they were because just Because it's, it's a competitive yeah. world. The third and the most interesting is that they were documents hoaxed by the U.S. government to uh, help take the researchers off the trail of actually finding top secret military aircraft oh. and go, oh, go look at Rigel 12. Yeah. Instead of the reality, which is that we're actually over here at Skunk Works doing real next generation you know, warfare research that we don't want the Russians to know about. What's Rigel 12? Uh, Rigel 12 is a, a star. Oh, okay. It's one of the stars uh, that the aliens uh, in the documents come from. Uh, they're small, gray, humanoid aliens, the Rigelians. Uh, so the documents describe the aliens? Oh, it's all stuff? about the aliens. They have the bodies. They have, you know, there was a guy, Richard Doty, who came forward to a documentarian and promised to get her footage of alien corpses and stuff like that. Oh. He disappeared and then later on came back and said that he was in for, he was told to hoax the documentarians by the government. It's like a weird what? It's that weird Cold War thing where you're not 100% sure who is fucking with who. Okay. And so but you know it's somebody fucking with somebody. Somebody's fucking with somebody, but yeah. why? And oh, so that's the thing like a lot of the Roswell stuff ended up later on looking like it was Cold War efforts to fuck with uh, Soviets? Soviets, because the, what it actually was that the bodies that were found were actually supposedly high-altitude dummies uh, that had crashed, and they didn't want the Soviets to know that we were trying to get, get drones, up into, or, get up yeah. into orbit and stuff like that. Um, so it's, But is that true, or is that just another layer of bullshit? That's what's really cool, and that's what the X-Files really gets at, which is these layers of lies and secret histories that are sort of covering up the truth or that maybe are the truth or maybe none of it's the truth and that's my those are my favorite x-files stories the ones where you're everything they discover ends up being something totally different than what you think it, it actually yeah is. and i think ultimately that sort of thinking kind of leads to its undoing ultimate x-files towards the end of its run right. where it's like all the shit you found out turns out to be fake or it, it's this just sort of to have constant reversals because even in the in the season three a lot of the stuff that we discover in this episode without spoiling it for people who are who are watching along ends up being reversals and we end up that what we think we saw was not what we actually saw right and that possibly it was something very different right uh but yeah those need to do reversals you know uh it's crazy the people on the mj12 mj12 there is a, a list of actual people who are part of the majestic group they're real people they're all real people 
Um, and uh, one of the people on the list is James Forrestal, who is legendary in the UFO research world because James Forrestal, even before the MJ documents came out, um, he was Secretary of Defense. He got dismissed. Um, he had a nervous breakdown. He threw himself out the 16th floor window of a hospital he was staying in. Oh, shit. And there's been conspiracy theories about this guy's death. That's a great— Always. That's, yeah. And from the beginning, like from the minute he died, and it wasn't always UFOs. It was Soviets. It was that, you know, um, all these other things. But for the UFO people, they think he was thrown out the window because he was getting ready to explain, now that he had been kicked out of the government, he was going to reveal all the secrets of that the government knew about aliens as the head of MJ-12. And so, like, it's, like, real hardcore stuff, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind is based on a supposed UFO landing at a military base in Ohio uh, that James Forrestal was at. Like, so it's like that kind of like high level stuff that he was going to reveal. We are in contact. Yeah. We know who they are. Um, uh, he left his suicide note is a, 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 a Greek poem, uh, which is like weird. Uh, people have always felt that is kind of a weird thing to leave behind. Um, so there's a ton of conspiracy theories, but UFO people really love it. Because he's supposedly part of the MJ-12. Okay. Uh, and uh, guys like Vannevar Bush, who is not Bush-Bush, but he was a guy in the Manhattan Project. He's part of MJ-12. It's dudes like that, like like these like weird dudes from all over the government. So in the X-Files world, though, it ends up being like you know Fox's dad and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so Fox's dad fills the James Forrestal role in this episode as the guy who gets offed because he's too close to the truth and maybe he's having second thoughts about keeping it all secret. Oh, that's cool. So it's sort of based on actual real conspiracy. Real conspiracy theories. I think that they talk about James Forrestal in later episodes more specifically. Yeah. Um, he's like, that's just like the UFO conspiracy theory thing. Like Forrestal is the, the center of all of it. Uh, but yeah, so the, the, the majestic documents are technically a real thing that are a, a bogus thing. A real uh, bogus a thing. A real bogus yeah. thing. And it's just really fascinating. And... Uh, you know, one of the guys that was uh, a recipient of the of the MJ documents, Stanton Friedman, um, who was a big impact on Close Encounters of the Third Kind, who was the guy for Roswell. He was the guy who was like, Roswell was a real thing. He found the, the early Roswell stuff and brought it to the attention of the public in the 70s. Um, he went all, really all the way, as far as I know, uh, has never said that MJ is a hoax, despite it being... Obviously a hoax. But what's really cool is that somebody planted MJ documents in the National Archives for these guys to find. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. Like, that's yeah. a cool fucking hoax. No, you know? it's a great hoax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something you said made me think of this. Um, the When she, that, that woman who uh, reads the documents and only knows certain words, and they're, one of the words is vaccination because right. it's an... It's a new word, so she knows it. I thought that was a cool, because I was like, oh, these words are going to be fucking words that are ominous and scary, and it's convenient that she knows them, but the reason for why she knows them is good. But also that sense of, like, you have this stuff, and so you can only make sense of little bits of it. You're trying right. to unearth it, and at the end, that moment when Walter Ski sees the uh, underground rail car, and you're like, is that a UFO? What is that? Right. When the, the kid thing finds of literally, you're yeah. sort of unsure what he's found. Yeah. yeah, and you literally have to go, like, unearth it. So the sense of, like... There's this big, massive, crazy information. You're just right. trying to scratch the surface and get in. Like the whole episode sort of uh, structures that really, really well. Well, all that stuff is great. There was a book. I'm looking it up right now. Because oh, when he says, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, you, you do it I just thought that that line where a uh, cigarette smoking man says, gentlemen, that was the phone call I never wanted to get. That's how you start a fucking episode. Yeah, that really That's is. That's how you start a three-parter. Yeah. 
Um, the thinker, the guy, Kenneth Sooner, the thinker, who um, breaks in and gets the documents, uh, I think is based on a guy who was on the message boards. His name was, he was a guy, I think his name was Ken Sooner or something very similar to that. He would be on the X-Files message boards and he was like sort of the canon continuity guy. People could ask oh, him really? and he would be like, actually this, yeah. And so they named it and he called himself the thinker. And they named this major character. Well, not major character, but like this character that gets things into motion. Uh, named it after him. That's cool. Uh, there's this book um, uh, that would have probably played a pretty big role in uh, the research that these guys did called uh, uh, Behold the Pale Horse, um, which is sort of like, and it was published in 1991, and uh, it is sort of like the touchstone conspiracy book for everything that's come afterwards, from UFOs to New World Order stuff to vaccinations and shit like that. That all is in this book. And it's all this episode is the episode that really feels like it is hitting a lot of that stuff. This guy, uh, he was, uh, uh, his name was Milton, Will, 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 Milton William Cooper. And uh, he um, he was an AIDS denialist. Uh, he uh, he was an AIDS denialist? Didn't think AIDS existed. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, his conspiracy theory uh, is pretty incredible because it, um, it includes the Kennedy assassination, the NWO, the coming Ice Age, the uh, the uh, aliens, and the Illuminati, which have been de- had declared war on America since the earliest days of the revolution. Um, and it's all stuff that feeds into this. Um, and it's one, he has a really great quote in his book, and it's a super good book, and everybody should read it because it's totally nuts. But he has a really great quote in the prologue, which is that um, he's not saying this stuff is true. He's saying that the people in charge believe this stuff is true. And so it's important to know that what they believe is true because all of their policy comes from this. And wow. it's such a great thing. It's this whole thing about how, like um, – Right-wing politicians in America are super into Israel, not because they're super into Israel, but because they believe that Israel at war is a is a, a key to unlocking the second coming of Christ. Right, right, right. So it's that same argument that he has, uh, which I love as sort of a backup conspiracy theory. Yeah, this isn't real, but they think it's real, so we should know about this. And that's, that's sort of the Scully angle on it, which is that I don't think these are aliens, Yeah, but, but there's something. These guys are doing something. They're doing something, yeah, and this episode does a good job of – I was saying earlier on a different episode, too many times it's like Mulder is the one who's activated and then Scully's just trying to protect him or right. something. Here, she's also activated. She's like, way activated. She, she knows something fucking horrible is going on. And she's in straight-up conspiracy theory mode this whole episode because you have to be in conspiracy theory mode to go check the water filters. Yes, you really do. That thing, you know when it started? One, I have a thing. I don't like seeing people sick on camera. It's just very hard for me. Obviously, I hate everyone. you caring? You have a lot of empathy? No, it, no, no, no. It's not. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a sociopath. I just, I'm not worried for them. It just makes me very uncomfortable. I hate being sick. I don't get sick very much. I'll get sick once a, once a year or something. Um, and so, but whenever I see that, and I thought it was like super convenient that like, oh, he's sick. He's on edge. That's why he attacks Skinner. So he does stuff that isn't maybe in Mulder's character, or it is, but it's heightened. And I thought that that was sort of a cheat. But when you find out that they've been drugging his water, then I'm like, all right, that makes sense. That's not just a random thing that they're using to heighten the drama right. uh, in this. And I thought it was it had a great payoff with that woman shooting her husband. Yep. Like It's such a fucking great payoff because you're like, that's out of nowhere. What is that? And you kind of almost forget and then you see, oh, no, they're, like, drugging everybody just to get one guy out of the picture, which is, like, sort of what you see happens in uh, a lot of the mythology episodes. You see, like, the government 
doesn't really care about the people. They right. just like if there's collateral damage, there's collateral damage. They're not know? interested in being surgical about it. And right, then also, exactly. And that also feeds nicely into all the conspiracy theories about fluoride in the water and stuff like that. Yes. It's really good. It's just like this episode is really good in the way that it brings a lot of disparate conspiracy nonsense together. Um, and it, conspiracy theories are really great to read about because they make just enough sense to be interesting, right? but don't actually make any sense when you pull them together. And this episode does a really good job of bringing them together just enough to be interesting and not following through all the way where you go, well, that doesn't actually make a lick of sense. Right. But it's it's a perfect encapsulation. And it moves fast enough that right. you don't really think about it's, that it's, stuff. It's like so much shit perfect, is going the on. the perfect way to do it. Yeah. It's yeah. really well done. Um, I just wrote down, I thought the cops showed up way too quickly after she shoots her husband. But that's on purpose because they're ready. Because they know. Because they're ready for Mulder to do something. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, so they probably would have showed up and shot Mulder dead if Mulder had, like, sh you know, freaked out and shot Scully or something like that. They yeah. probably were there to, sh to shoot Mulder dead. Yeah. Um, why Why he doesn't just say I'm FBI, I don't know. But. <laughs> um, I thought this is a random thing, but when he meets that guy, the thinker, at the meeting place, the colors were really cool. Did you see that? There's, like, a pink thing in the background and, like, blue fountains and there's, like, really sharp greens. I thought that was, like, a really nice, yeah, like... I wonder where they went because this episode, they, they did go out of Vancouver this episode, right? They didn't just fake New Mexico. They did. They did painted they? a rock quarry red. And if you're watching the DVD, like, a little thing comes up and you hit the button and it shows you a bunch of dudes literally painting a rock quarry red. They're well, like, I'm blown away because I thought that looked really It good. looked great, didn't it? And Even the, the establishing shots of the kid on the motorcycle? They, I don't know about that. I didn't see the thing for that. But they showed how they composited all the background. So you see the rock quarry with, like, Vancouver in the background. They built it. They built this thing. They built a huge set. And then they, you see, like, you know, green around it, and then they uh, composite in New Mexico. They did a really nice job. Even the light looks different. I was, I, was really, yeah. I was really impressed. No, it's really good. I thought the line, when Kenetsuna meets him, he's like, I don't want to tell you my real name. I don't think you need to know it. And he goes, sounds like a line I used in a bar <laughs> once. I like that even though Mulder's like, this guy has everything I need, is still like, I got to get in my lines, you know? I like when Mulder um, opens up the... Um, the, the the cassette tape, which by the way is how the MJ documents were delivered to the um, this is the same same format. It's a cassette tape. Yeah. Um. And uh, he opens it up and he just immediately like, oh man, these fucking guys. Yeah, uh, it's gibberish. He's, he's so mad. I like yeah. that a lot. I mean, that's part of that is because he's drugged. But yeah. That's just that's just Mulder. It's just yeah. Like when is. when it's not right there, he gets really upset. About yeah, it. yeah, yeah. But I also like that it just because it's gibber. He's like, it's gibberish. No, it's another language. Do you think Mex like Spanish is gibberish? Um, I also wrote down, like, these UFO conspiracy nuts, they should, like, shower and shave more often. They'll just be taken more seriously. <laughs> and his intro, when, when Scully comes in, he's looking at the tape, and he goes, Scully, have you ever heard about the Ten Commandments? Like, I bet he thought of that. Like, I got to make this real big and dramatic. When she walks in, really get her in. <laughs> uh, this is a weird thing I noticed. I watched it a couple times. He says, when he's, like, freaking out, when he's, like, getting pissed off that he doesn't think it's real, he says, damn it, so sick of this crap BS and double talk. BS and double talk is ADR'd. So it's so sick of this crap was the original line. And then they added in later BS and double talk. I don't know why. Because it's him talking. He says, so sick of this crap. And then the camera cuts behind him. And then clearly in a different, like, quality, he says, BS and double talk. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know I why. do like that he says, um, were you, you going to give me another jerk-off assignment? Which I feel like when this aired, I was like, that's a, that's a ballsy jerk thing off. to jerk-off on TV. To your boss? 
Well, he's also a bad liar. What Skinner says, I heard you came into possession of some sensitive documents. And he's like, I don't know anything about that. It's like, you're the worst lawyer. <laughs> and then that fight is fucking great, right? Did you see Chris Carter's in the meeting with Scully? No, I didn't realize. Chris, the one who's telling Scully, like, hey, you know, you were partnered with him to report on him and keep him in line. That's and Chris stuff. Carter? That's Chris Carter. Jesus. Weird, right? It I also was adds wondering why that guy wasn't very good. <laughs> exactly. It also it's like this is a fucking serious X Files episode. Right. This guy like came out of his tower. <laughs> yeah. Like if George Lucas showed up, you know. I met George Lucas recently. Did you? Yeah. What was it like? It was fucking crazy. He was very nice, mm-hmm. dressed like a person who either doesn't get out much or doesn't care how he dresses. Was he wearing like a flannel shirt? Yeah, and he had like shoes that weren't like he just it was so interesting he doesn't care how he dresses yeah yeah he doesn't care how he dresses he was very nice but he didn't really know like much about because i was with someone i'm gonna not gonna say who it was but someone who's like very who he would know he obviously wouldn't know me but he knows who this other person is but didn't seem to be very familiar with that person's work or you know, that person was trying to talk to them because he was like, I'm going to fucking get stories out of George Lucas. And this person was talking about like, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And George Lucas had seen nothing. Right. He just started watching Breaking Bad. He's like a real hard nerd. I mean, like he doesn't do he's not good. He's not a good conversationalist. He's just not. <laughs> like he just isn't like it's weird. Like um, he never he never stopped being that uncomfortable nerd. Well, and now he doesn't really need to deal with regular people that often. So he can just kind of right, like he's just stuck in his own little world. And yeah. So he doesn't need to talk to me. But I met a guy who was with George Lucas for a couple of days and Lucas just glommed on to him because oh, he had cool. nobody to hang out with. Uh-huh. He doesn't have friends. So it was like, hey, do you want to go to lunch? Like, yes. And then my friend's like, yes. And then like the third day he was like, you know, I got other things to uh... do because Lucas was just not cool to hang out with oh he was just lame oh yeah that's okay it's okay for people to be lame no, it's actually kind of better yeah that he's like that he is just that nerdy dude yeah that made like a laser sword movie yeah, yeah. a great laser sword movie um a couple of great ones and then a couple of bad ones <laughs> um i like also that that when chris carter reminds it you it's sort of reminds you that she's there for that reason and it really it sort of... lets you see the arc of yeah, her. Yeah, it lets you see the arc yeah. of her. like brings everything together in a way. And um, I was reading... So I've been talking a lot about this guy, Darren Mooney, who reviews these episodes and he does... You know, his reviews are always really good. He talks about this episode a lot as sort of being an ending of a certain kind of X-Files and the birth of a new kind of X-Files, which is like, you know, before this... There were like some, uh, like the mythology hadn't really solidified yet. It sort of starts at the beginning of the season. Uh, but he says this is where it really sort of takes off. Like the father thing right. is a big part of it. You get the scope of it. And he was also saying like little things like before this, there would be standalones that were tied to the mythology. And he says that after this episode, it's like pretty discreet. They're like pretty distinct. They're two different kinds of things. And he sort of says the, the metaphor of like the railway and the, you know, the, the car under the thing is like setting fire to an old kind of X-Files and bringing out a new kind of X-Files and, you know, from the ashes or whatever. I thought that was interesting. I didn't really see it as a birth of a new kind of X-Files. I just saw it as like, a, finally, you're, the, the formula is now in place a little bit. You know, they know what the well, show's going to look like. It feels like, like. We're, two, we're two years in. We know we're coming back for a third year. Yeah. So let's just go. Let's, yeah. just, let's just go. We've been kind of holding back. We've not really been sure where we're going. We have these disparate elements that we've introduced over the over time. But fuck it. Let's just run. 
Let's just bring them all together and run. How do you feel about this thing? Um, Mulder used to be this guy who's just normal guy. Something crazy happened to him, and now he has this cause, and he sort of builds himself up to be this sort of important figure in the conspiracy. Versus, in a way, being the chosen one, which I believe is what the new Spider-Man does, right? This new thing of like, or, or Harry Potter, where you're like, you're sort of meant to be, although Harry Potter kind of reverses it. Uh, it, or it comments on it in an interesting way. How do you feel about that? This weird thing that he's like linked to the conspiracy I'm in a way. I'm super into it because um, it's the it's the thematics of it, and this episode really begins to delve into those thematics, which is that uh, the discovery that his dad is involved. This show is about the secret history of America in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it's and sort so, of like how the kids are paying for the crimes of the fathers. But it's also about how all of us are connected to that. So we're the descendants of to the, the people, history. Yeah, to the history. We we are. So he becomes the stand-in for us. That there's a even if we don't believe in the conspiracies here, there is slavery, there is the Native American genocide, there is the Tuskegee uh, program. Uh, these are things that are real that we have essentially benefited from and that have put us in a place now where we have to stand up and say, I'm either going to be part of this or I'm going to stand up against this and reveal this stuff. Right. So for me, it works because it's thematically tied into it, that because the entire conspiracy is about the secret history of America, that Mulder's own history ties into it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like it. I, I usually don't like the chosen one thing. Um, right. But I also think it's, again, going back to that thing where it's vital for the show because otherwise why not just kill him? Like it's so easy to kill him in a car yeah. accident. He flies in a lot of planes. You know yeah. What I mean? it's, a no, oh, yeah. it's a no fucking brainer taking this guy out. You're right. But then if they're okay killing his dad, why aren't they okay killing him? Well, then that, that's where they do the backflips to, like, well, he'll become a martyr for... Yeah. There's too many people who know. I mean, that's the stuff I don't necessarily... Because everybody who knows is so fucking marginalized. Um, you know what I mean? Like... Right. There are a lot of people Oh, who, yeah. He'll be... Yeah. There are a lot of people who have been killed by the government who, you know, are, like, only marginalized people talk about. Right, you know, right, right. So uh, if these U if it activates these UFO nuts, well, those guys yeah, are nuts anyway. Know it, like, who but I think, well, yeah, exactly. What, but what I think could be interesting though is that cigarette smoking man has this weird relationship from with Mulder, where he does. I like that in these mythology episodes, you sort of see that he's not this big bad guy. He's sort of got shades of gray, like he's kind of doing his job, which well, is not, not easy. Well, not just that, but it's even what Mulder's dad says to Mulder, which is they're going to tell you things and they're going to make sense. And it's the idea that what these guys are doing, it isn't they didn't wake up in the morning and go, let's be really bad. No. They woke up in the morning and said, what can we do to make things better for everybody? Yeah. And they just made all the wrong choices. They just went the way that maybe you wish they didn't go. Right. And uh, that's been a theme. That's been his characterization over the last few uh, episodes. Where there's one episode where there's this um, fucking Ebola-type virus that's spreading. And Cigarette Smoking Man has this... Mulder goes in and he's like, you guys fucking hit this. He's like, yeah, we're protecting the people. And there's this huge fight. And then he goes out and he talks to Scully and she says the same thing that the cigarette smoking man does. Yeah. So you realize, yeah, it's not that they want to get up in the morning and fuck people. They're, he's trying to do the right thing. He says this line that I thought was so cool. It was like regret is an inevitable consequence of life. Like he doesn't look back. Right. He's just going forward. Like just got to do in the moment what the best thing to do is. I, well, and the show later on establishes that the syndicate is knowledgeable of other things that they are trying to prevent or mitigate the effects of. Right. There's 2012 stuff that they are building to. Yeah. So what he's doing, he, in a lot of ways, he feels like he is, you know, one. I'm interested in getting back to the episode where they have his secret history. Oh, yeah. Musings? Yeah. Oh, the secret smoking I remember men? I'm liking it a lot when it aired, and I'm curious now if in the world of 
in the post prequel world if I'll find it as charming as I did. Then. Right, where there's like too many nods. It's also a sort of parody of Forrest Gump. Which so is I'm curious kind to see. Of hilarious. Yeah. That you make your big mythology reveal episode of parody <laughs> of Forrest Gump. Well, they were like, Forrest Gump's going to be a cultural touchstone forever, <laughs> which it kind of is. But Forrest Gump is like that, you know, where he's like. When you're talking about prequel stuff, he's like, you know, same shit, different day or whatever. All that stuff that he says that that ends up becoming big. It's interesting. Like I was watching a um, I was watching Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. And in that one afternoon when there's the flashback thing, he gets his fear of snakes, yep. the, the scar on his chin. And then there's and the hat. The hat he gets the hat in this. I thought it was cool when I first saw it. But now. It's like become such a thing, like you said, the the, the Gotham thing of it's just uh, too much prequels. Too yeah, much, I mean, yeah. When it's by itself, it's interesting. But yeah, I saw a Texas one of the Texas chainsaws show him finding a chainsaw, like yeah. one of the new ones. Like I don't need to see that. <laughs> or like the Halloween movies where he's literally a kid, like killing dead animals and stuff. That's a pretty good example of not understanding what your own story is, because in the original Halloween, you know, he's opened, the shape. He's be- yeah. He opens as a kid, and he's dead inside and yeah. then we jump ahead and he's still the same right and you don't need anything else yeah, that's that, all that he is that guy's not a product of nurture he's just sort of made wrong right. and that's what you know uh, Donald Sutherland says right. uh, uh, whatever his name is what's his name uh, I no. just watched it a week ago uh, well, uh, well, he, Donald Pleasance Don, oh Donald Pleasance yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, he, he says he's not a person He he's credited as the shape right, right? yeah he's like a thing and so that is to fundamentally misunderstand what that is. So I'm, I'm curious to get to that episode. Too. But in the but in the case of this, I think as the show continues to add shades of gray to Cigarette Smoking Man, it becomes interesting to revisit that stuff. Yeah, and you he says there's a pretty badass line a few episodes ago that I talked about where he says I've seen presidents die. I was like oh more than one. That's <laughs> great. I really like that. And then the sense that there's every country has their own, or at least the right. major countries have their own. I don't think Pakistan has their own cigarette smoking man, you know? I don't... Um, yeah, he, he says the last thing we need is a is a martyr. Oh, yeah, cigarette smoking man says that he's been protecting Mulder. And he says deny everything, which becomes like one of the major X-Files sort of catchphrases right. kind of going on. Um I also like Scully as a key to Mulder's apartment. That's a cool little thing that's established a few episodes ago, but that's like a nice little thing. Um, they f- that their fight made me. I did not like Mulder and Scully fighting. That that bu- in a good it way. Bummed you out? It bummed me out. I was like, oh, this is the one thing that they have. But that's good. It's, I, what I like is that the, their their relationship is tested really hard, and then in, in the end, she goes all the way for him, yes. like driving him across country. Yeah. While he's knocked out in the back seat. Yes. And it's like, that's hardcore. Right, right, I really, right. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Oh, and then the part where she, you know, when she finds out that her name is in those files, right. where she's like, I need you to find out the truth. Right. That's a pretty good, like, because now she's, I know her acting in that scene is so good because she's been violated. She knows she's been violated, in, in, but in a way that she doesn't know or understand yet. And she plays that scene so well. It's interesting, like, in the... They're both really good actors, but they're really good at these characters, at least. But she, how far she's come in, like, two seasons is unbelievable. Like, that could make a phone call where it's like, my name is in those files. Something crazy is happening. I don't know what it is. Fucking figure it out. She's freaked out, and she's sad, but she's also, like, strong. It's a great performance. She's amazing in this episode. They are these characters. I mean, like, it's impossible to imagine somebody else 
playing these characters. Certainly, but you know what? Gillian Anderson has done a great job of branching out and doing other really great no, stuff. No, she's did terrific. You see, yeah. Did you see The Fall? Uh, no. Oh, you would love The Fall. Do you know what it is? No. The Fall is six episodes, and they're doing a season two. It's a British show, and it's Gillian uh, uh, Anderson is a cop. Is she British now? She She's always British. She's doing an American accent for this. She... Uh, I looked it up. She was born there. She's British. I've seen her on She's talk shows. Being British, right? No. I, I interviewed her at the X-Files second movie junket, and she did not have a British accent. Maybe she was being scullied then. She was just methoding it she was all methoding the way through. It. Yeah. Jesus. Through the, the whole press junket. Um, but this, ep- this the, the show is really good. The Fall, um, it's a there's a serial killer, and then her trying to catch the serial killer, but it's from both perspectives oh, equally. Cool. Um, and I was recommended it hardcore, and then you'll be okay with this. But there's an episode, episode five, that gets like really fucking brutal because you sort of see this guy planning his thing and trying to do something. But he's really handsome and he's really charming. You know, he's done horrible shit. He's got a family, but you're sort of on his side. And then episode five is him enacting, like acting on the thing that he's been prepping, and it's so fucking brutal. I think it's going to be tough for a lot of. It was tough for me to watch. That's my favorite thing when. Uh, a movie or TV show makes you really side with a bad person. Yeah. And then lets you really side with them for a while and then rubs your face. Yeah. Like, in, this is what you did. This is, I love yeah. that. It's my favorite thing. It's I love great, that so much. It's a really, really great show. And she's really great. And what's cool about it is that it's about this one major, like, case. They know there's a serial killer on the loose. But, like, some of the other people are working on other cases. And sometimes it'll follow, like, other little cases. And you think because I'm used to American shows where it's like something else is happening. I'm like, oh, this is going to tie in. It doesn't. Like, that's just part of their day right. is that she's on this case, but there's also other stuff that she's to help out with a little bit. You know, it was, it's, it's really good. And, and on the show, she's like sexual. Like, she hooks up with dudes in a very, like, matter-of-fact way. Um, it's like a, a you, you don't see women being sexually active right. in a in this kind of way usually in american shows in like a sort of a matter of fact like i'm just hooking up with this guy and it's not really a big part of the story or anything you know speaking of british shows did you ever see um ultraviolet no which is like sort of semi a british riff on x-files kind of but it's only about vampires it's good uh it's so like it's so like episodes. the episode three it's, like, it's six, like, like six episodes and it's i think it's terrific okay because uh Bad Blood is a good vampire one, but three is not a good vampire. No, it's not like three. No. Okay. No, it's much better than that. Good, good. Um, they were just going to shoot Mulder in the head, huh? When the bullet grazes Scully? When she's in his yeah, apartment I mean, and goes through the X? The pro- so here's the problem with X-Files writing. Um, not the problem, but the thing about it is they'll often just do stuff to heighten the scene or yes. to heighten the mystery. And then when you're like, well, that doesn't really make any sense right. considering everything that Cigarette Smoking Man has said right. elsewhere in this episode. Right. So I'm not 100% sure. And also you can't say that it would be scaring him because that would not scare Mulder. That would only get him more excited. Yeah, that would only I think get it's him. to scare within, not from their POV, but from the show's POV to activate Scully more. Yes. So I don't know. Sure. That, I don't know. If we, we can walk back and make a logical in-universe explanation for what just happened right there. You're right. Um, because also, why didn't they just shoot her in the head? There's a government trained government crack shots sitting in a, you know, out in a, a stabilized scenario. That's exactly what they're trained to do: is just pop somebody in the head like that. Yeah, yeah, and just because she's slightly shorter, right. They fuck up. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, so it's a hundred percent a that, thing that the show did 
to ratchet up the but tension. But that's what gets her into the basement to look right. at the the, the, right. the water filters or whatever it is. Um, uh, oh, his dad's last words. Forgive me. Very sad. I think those are going to be my last words, no matter <laughs> what the situation is. <laughs> Forgive me. And then what the fuck was he talking about? I feel like he lived a pretty normal life. Um, uh, I thought that that moment where Scully and Mulder, where Mulder wakes up on the reservation and Scully's with him and she's like, I'm sorry about your dad. I never got to say that. That was a really sweet little moment because it was like they've been running and running and running. Right. And there's like a brief moment of respite where it's like, how are you doing with your dad, dad? They have such a weird form. Well, and she gets it too. Yeah. Having just lost her dad. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mulder and his dad's relationship his dad sort of comes off as an asshole earlier in an earlier episode. They have this weirdly formal rela- relationship where he's like, Mulder, this is your father. But when he's talking to him, it's really heartbreaking. And it's like the most personal conversation that they've, the most truthful conversation they've ever had in their life. Right. Uh, I thought that was like really kind of moving. Like it, this character who's been an asshole is sort of, you see why he's an asshole. And it's not just like the show Walking Dead does this. Or, or it used to do this a lot. It would be a minor character, and they'd have a moment where you'd see they're awesome, and then they would just they would die. die right? But in this one, it feels a little more organic to me. It felt like uh, it made sense in the story and the character that he would sort of had this, and he maybe he sort of knows that he's gonna die. Like right, he. I think he senses that it's things are getting to a place where people make have to make choices and make decisions that are gonna be irrevocable. You know, going back to the thing about Mulder, you know, his family being involved. I also like that Mulder is a child of privilege. Yes. I think it's a really easy, cheap thing to have him be like from a different background and thus want to like reveal what's going on. But he's from that world. And that maybe even sort of explains a little bit why they're more hesitant to kill him because he's one of their white privilege men. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, well, Mulder, he's smart. He's one of us. He's off the reservation right now yeah can we bring him on board right and i like that i like that you i like I mean? that but they're like he's one of us Let's he's one uh, of us we have to give him a chance you know he's not he's not some dirty you know poor person yeah he's on his rumspringer right now he'll be back <laughs> right yeah right and once he's figured this shit out we go now you understand why we're doing this yeah uh so i kind of like that too i like that he's a child of privilege the show doesn't apologize for that at any point yeah uh you know i always have a thing with tv shows people have nice apartments and they come from poor families or whatever but he's well off. Yes, yeah, friends. Always well. Friends is the ultimate Example. version of that. Like, yeah. well, how are you struggling? Like, you live in a right. palace. It's huge. Yeah. Right. But then that's what gets to Mulder's quest for truth isn't very nuanced in a good way. Like, he just wants the truth and get it out there. He doesn't care the con- about the consequences of this. And they're sort of trying to get him to see the nuance of well, it. Well, they're trying bit. to show him the grays a little bit. Right. Yeah. But he is such a child of privilege that he just wants what he wants. I want what I want. He is like a little Which is why he gets mad when he opens up the file and he can't read it. Yeah, he has like it's, a hissy fit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and wh- when Scully takes his gun, his line, you have my files, you have my gun, don't ask me for my trust. Fuck you, Mulder. <laughs> what a fucking dick. Um he gives his trust so easily too. That's the thing. He just believes anybody that walks. Well, up that's and tells what's kind of to hear. that's what's kind of cool about it is that he says trust no one, but he's the most trusting thing. Like some guy with long hair gave me a disc. I found the truth. <laughs> Scully, have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Because shit's about to get real. He hasn't seen it yet, but he's like, this is everything we need. He's the most trusting. Scully is a lot more skeptical. Right. It's like uh, it's interesting because you always think of you know as a. Uh, uh, yeah, it's cool. The, the characterizations make sense to me. Um, 
And then the way she sort of protects him, which she's like, if you had killed Crycheck with that weapon, there would have been... Because she shoots Mulder, and I'm like, that feels weird that she would shoot him. But when she says, if you'd killed him with that weapon, then they could have framed you because it's the same gun. Uh, that was an interesting way to sort of make sense of what she did. That, that, was, that was cool. It's always just a good dramatic moment to have a partner shoot their other partner. Yeah. It's just good drama. Right, right, right. It just right. really works. Shoot it's the just, hostage. Right. Speed. Um, I thought Mulder, when he like wakes up, he has this great puppy dog look the whole time. Uh, and they have this great bonding moment when he wakes up in the reservation and she shot him and they have a fight. And she's like, oh, uh, Albert Holstein, the Native American guy, goes, you're lucky she's a good shot. And he goes, or a bad one. And then they smile at each other <laughs> like, oh, they're back. They're back. That's a good. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Last week we had a moment. I don't need to hear Native American people talking about omens anymore. I feel like I've, I've, I've seen that a lot. But, but how do you make sense of that? So he says they had an omen, and then clearly something is coming, so he's right. Right. How do you make sense of that within the world of the X-Files? How is this Native American guy getting omens about well, what's I happening? Well, I think it's pretty standard to sort of like, even like an atheist like Fox Mulder, to sort of buy into this new agey stuff. That's just like, very, that feels very right to me. Like I don't believe in God, but I believe in the universe. Okay. Yeah, so I buy that. So I, that that all that all works for me. That all and it's all very nineties for me too. This is like, you know, Dance of the Wolves. Like this is like <laughs> this is right. This feels this feels of the moment. Okay. Like, in a big way. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. I'll buy that. Uh, Scully's name is in those files with Dwayne Barry. That's fucking really cool. Yeah, she says it has something to do with the test. I want you to find out, Mulder. I need you to. Um I thought that was, oh Anastasi means ancient aliens. That's pretty cool. It doesn't. It doesn't. He just lied. He lied. Well, yeah. It actually means in Navajo ancestral enemy, or ancient enemy, uh, oh. which is why the people who are descendants of the Anasazi prefer to be called uh, the Pueblo people, uh, because having their name mean ancient enemy uh, is no is, good. Is no good. Uh, right. Uh, so they're not. They're, so they're not wild about it. It's really interesting because the Anasazi disappearance is like one of those great. Uh, you know, h hidden archaeology things. That yeah, like Rowan. What was that one? Rowan. Oh, Rowan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and people love that. The reality is probably not as exciting. They were assimilated. Into they probably there was a, probably a couple. Recent research indicates that there was a couple of pressures on them. There was a great drought that was going on for about thirty years. Um, they were at a lot of. There was a lot of war going on that was associated with the drought as. As you begin to find your crops drying up, you begin raiding other villages to sure. get supplies. They raid you back. They were also in the middle of what was called the Little Ice Age, which meant that uh, where they were operating, it was too dry to plant crops. But when they got higher up to the wetter areas, it was too cold to plant crops oh. because of li the Little Ice Age. And then there's a lot of evidence that there were some interesting new religious movements happening in the, s in the southern part of the nation at the time that may have begun drawing people off. Right, so they so got assimilated. Combination of these factors. A lot of these things, it was just sort of one of these things that sort of happened, and it looks like they just got up and left one day. Yeah. But it probably isn't as simple as that. Right. Um, so, but it's one of those great, you know, hidden archaeology things that they're, you can tell great stories about. Uh, but yeah, since their name means in Navajo, ancient enemy, the descendants really prefer not to be known as. Pueblo people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that he says nothing disappears without a trace, and then the cigarette smoking man at the end um, echoes that. I thought that was cool. Um, oh, this is a conversation that he has with the Native American guy. Again, what's buried out there? Lies. You will see for yourself. He should just be like, there's fucking aliens in a... It's great. You're going to love it. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but the Native American guy right. is not actually... 
right. reading him wrong. Right. There's, it's that's very, right. It's very complicated. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I like Mulder when he's in the car. The, the, the shots of it are really cool where he's far away and you see the, the, the little metal under the sand. And then you you see like uh, the camera going into like the blackness of the hole, and then him calling, and you see him first before you see the rest yeah. of the car. Um, really well shot episode. Uh, this is a uh, Rob Bowman who did the first it's, movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just it really is, and I don't have enough of a memory of what season finale cliffhangers were like. I mean, they existed before this. You know, who shot Jr. Yeah. Um, but this feels like the epitome of what you want a season finale cliffhanger to be. It is just ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, and then getting to a place where at the end you are you are dying for the summer to be over. Right, it exactly. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you months. really need to come back. Yeah, months, months are left. Yeah, and this is when like uh, X-Files is really starting to pick up steam in terms of popularity. And um, yeah, because there's like we said, there's reveals, there's twists, there's old characters coming back, there's old characters dying, there's a big thing you see: train car full of aliens, fire, uh, protagonist in peril, end of the season. Yeah, That's even Scully's in peril because she doesn't know what's going to happen to her career. She's back in DC, and the, yeah. the possibility of being drummed out of the FBI. Mulder might be dead. Cigarette smoking man taking off like a badass in a helicopter. Oh, he's so badass in the helicopter. <laughs> the way he gets into a helicopter. I've never gotten into a helicopter, but I was like, that's pretty good. <laughs> I would think it would be like, it's one of those things where like getting up on a horse, you always think is badass, but most of the time it's, it's not. It's embarrassing to try to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he knows how to get on a helicopter. Yeah. It's so cool that this guy was hired just to be a background guy in one episode. He has no lines. And then they were like, oh, let's just bring this guy back. And slowly they built up his character. There's one episode where they'd written a lot of lines for him and they were going to like change it. And he had to be like, no, I can actually act. Don't worry. I can do this. And he becomes so fucking such a major part of the X-Files. It was just a guy in the background of yeah. the first or second episode. He becomes one of the defining villains of the 90s. Yes. Like in a really big way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a cool villain in that you sort of see things from his perspective, too. And it's a, this is something a little tragic about him well at least in musings you see he's like this really right. lonely guy but he has a complete faith that he's doing the right thing right. which i think is very interesting well, he's, the, he's the flip side of Mulder. yes exactly exactly um and uh but these aren't humans scully that's a pretty good line uh, and again him saying burn it uh, so good um also oh, this is another thing that he this is darren mooney wrote this uh it's interesting because he's talking about the train um Obviously, there's some Holocaust imagery there, right? Uh, although the boxcar at the end is rather heavy on the Holocaust imagery, there are overt references to the persecution and victimization of the Native American population. The plaque on the car reads Sierra Pacific Railroad. This is an evocative name with the press westward. In the middle of the 19th century, Pacific was in everybody's mind. Pacific Union and Central Pacific competed to see who would be the first to complete a transcontinental railroad, uh, encouraged by the Pacific Railroad Acts. Um, the expansion of the American Railroad Network is inexorably associated with the colonization of America and brought the settlers into direct conflict with the Native Americans. The trains are very much a literal expression of manifest destiny, a powerful engine pushing, pushing towards the west coast of the North American continent. The revelation that the bodies in the boxcar marked with scars from smallpox vaccination also recalls the historical debate about the possible use of smallpox as a biological weapon right. against the Native Americans. So it really brings in a lot of different kinds of things. And using the code talkers is neat uh, on a lot of levels. This, I, mean, I think now code talkers are more well known. But when this aired, it was 
part of the sort of the secret history of America again, where we just it wasn't you know there was there, there was there wasn't a a Nick Cave a Nick, a Nick Cage movie about it already. Oh so yeah, Wind Talkers. Wind Talkers. Uh, so how's that movie? It's terrible. Okay. Uh, so the idea that these guys who were pressed into service in World War II because their language is so obscure and so difficult to figure out made them ultimate, you know, code machines yes. uh, is really fascinating. And it's fascinating on a lot of levels, not the least of which is the idea of the U.S. government using people uh, in that way. Do you know what I mean? So it, it becomes this, this very complex thing. Oh, right. Uh, that they're, right. you know, they're, they're, they're not using them for who they are. They're using them like in the, in, in, for, for their own reasons. They, but they, you know, they're very proud of their help. I'm not going to run down the code talkers who are very proud of what they did, rightfully yeah. so. Uh, but it's, it's such an interesting little piece of secret history, uh, you know, bring that in and, 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 and having them be Native Americans always are presented as like exotic and unknowable and whatever, but that's literally what the code talkers were. Yeah. So it's sort of on the nose in a really neat way. Yeah. Uh, and I like the idea that the code talkers have these secrets and the U.S. government didn't even consider them important enough to worry about. Yeah. Like, See, these guys right. know the They'll secrets. They'll be fine. Yeah, because they, they know. they translated it. Yeah, and that's they interesting. Even, they don't even get, like, whatever. Who gives a shit? Yeah. And uh, in the X-Files, that's, like, the last guy alive or one of the last guys alive, right? Yeah, they didn't even see them as a real threat. Right, they don't even, they're not even real people. They're, who even cares? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And that's the beauty of it, this monolithic system. It's, you know, it's, 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 its weakness is the fact that it doesn't take the people that it's subjugating seriously. Yeah, it didn't take Mulder into account. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't take a white guy showing up to really get with these <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> We've never seen that before. That's a new thing. Um, so uh, usually, usually I read the message boards. For some reason, these few weeks, the message boards are wiped clean. I don't know why. There's nothing in there. Um, just this period, the X-Files and the sci-fi TV. Well, although the sci-fi TV ones never really had much X-Files. But this one, there's nothing. I don't know how that happens, but it's happened once before. Where uh, from that period, there are just no messages. It's stuff like there's like server changes and stuff. Yeah. And somebody didn't back it up Sucks. for the last two weeks. And yeah. So therefore, it's all gone. So it's all gone. So there's really nothing. Is there anything else you want to say about these episodes before you come back and talk about the next two? Have you seen the next two recently? I haven't watched them again. I just yeah, watched I these. I didn't want to. I didn't want to watch them and get them too fresh, right. so I wouldn't blow yes. the reveals and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I just you know, our town is uh, the definition of like a solid underwhelming. Fine episode. With it's some like good a imagery. B, B minus. Yeah. Some good imagery. You know what I mean? Like you, 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 you don't you, the heads, you, the the mask. person thinking in the red chicken goo. Yeah, you don't hate that you watched it, but you're like, man, you guys dropped the ball in this one. Yeah. Um, but Anasazi is, oh, this is like when these came out on VHS and they just collected specific episodes. Yeah. I watched these three again. Yeah. Again, and this was the time this was happening while the show was still running, so it was like. Finding out what are the keys, what are the secrets here. Uh, this is when I still believe they knew where they were going. So like I was looking for the secret hints. Of, yeah. Of, of 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 what they were setting up. I really think that they at some point had figured it out, and then because they had to extend it past five or six seasons or whatever, I think that's when they started dropping the ball. But I really think at this point, and seasons three, four, it's coming to a head. Something is happening. And well, then they end up blowing it in the movie. Which I like the movie. Yeah, I like they, the movie too. It, it needed to build to a thing, and then because they knew they were coming back for season six, right? They didn't. The movie just right. Exactly. Happen. You could you could do a not a sort of do a pretty small rewrite on on the movie and end the conspiracy in a pretty satisfying way. You could have it's, Scully 
be able to see the fucking UFO at the end of the movie. Yeah, it could have. <laughs> yeah, I mean that wanting to keep the status quo when it's like that, sustaining that over 125 hours yeah. of television, it's just really hard. Yeah. It just it just becomes really artificial and forced. Well, and the thing is, you can already see that they're straining against it because they're already moving Scully so far from her initial status quo that they have Chris Carter show up and remind you how far she's moved from her Yeah, literally quo. the writer of the show, like, this is why I put you in the show. What are right. you doing? What are you yeah. doing? You've totally gone uh, off the reservation on this one. Uh, and, 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 but it's great, and that's what is terrific, and that's why at five seasons it would have been unreal. Yeah. But when they stretch it out to nine... I mean, season six is really good. There's a lot of great one-offs, but if they'd ended the big story in five and then six, um, you know, maybe done, started a new mythology, right. something with a smaller scope or something like that, or concentrated on, you know, even like have one crazy serial killer guy that they have to catch or whatever, something. It would have been so great. It would have been so great. Extending the mythology beyond uh, the movie was where it gets stuff. I like the yeah, but the, yeah, at this point, the mythology is coming together so well. It's so interesting. It's so exciting. Yeah, uh, you're gonna make me. You're gonna break my heart in real time again with the show. I feel like well, I'm I really see, getting. I got so excited. I watching know. I know. I know. I know. But this is a way to squint and make sense of it and, <laughs> and have it end on a good note. Uh, thank you so much for coming, coming, Devin. Thank um, you for having me. I love uh, being on this show. Yeah, and you're gonna come back and do the next two. Yeah, we're gonna record that soon. Um, plug your stuff. Uh, you can find me at badassdigest.com or you can find me on Twitter at Devin, D-E-V-I-N-C-F. Uh, and uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff that's of interest to X-Files fans all the time. Yeah, and hopefully by the time this airs, the Gamergate stuff is done. But if not, you can go and find Devin having uh, reasonable arguments with me, G- yeah, Gamergators. You can find me really just, uh, just discussing politely with uh, these people. Thanks for coming. All right. That was Devin. He'll be back again next week. Hope you guys liked it. Next week's first two episodes of season two, of season three, of course. Uh, TheXFilesFiles at gmail.com, at XFilesFiles, at Kumail N, K-U-M-A-I-L-N. Please go give us a good review on iTunes. And uh, that's it. Live long and prosper. Wait, no, that's the other one. Shit. Oh, hey there. Hi. Do you like being happy and not sad? You should check out the podcast Hello and Good News. Each week, I sit down with a comedic guest and tell them all about the people, places, and current events affecting the world in a positive way. Whoa. So check out and subscribe to Hello and Good News on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Yeah.